0: Welcome to Off The Grid Radio. Better ideas to bust you and your family out of today's global control grid. Now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition
1: of Off The Grid Radio. I am Michael Faust of offthegridnews.com. You know, for the past few days and weeks, school children across the nation have been studying the pilgrims. And this week, families across the U.S. will gather around tables to give thanks and perhaps even look back to what many consider the first Thanksgiving. We all think we know the story of the pilgrims. But as you'll discover on today's edition of Author Radio, we really don't. On today's edition of Author Radio, we're going to talk to one of the world's leading experts on the pilgrims, and we're going to separate fact from myth. We're going to hear some amazing stories of survival. We're talking with Sue Allen. She's an author and lecturer who is well known for giving Mayflower Trail tours and the united kingdom showing tourists the sites of the pilgrim fathers you may have seen her in the documentaries what do you think you are usa or monumental or even bbc's coast she's also the author of several books including the mayflower maid in search of Scrooby manor and steps along the mayflower trail but first let me tell you about today's sponsor today's sponsor is thefoundersplan.com we can learn the real story behind the Constitution and the truth about America's Christian heritage. That's thefoundersplan.com. Sue, it's always good to talk to you. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you.
1: We're going to cover a lot in the next uh, roughly half hour, but if we can, I, I want to start with this one myth that I actually learned was a myth only recently, and that is what the Pilgrims actually. War. Uh, 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 as school children and families uh, who read about the pilgrims, they see these paintings depicting these pilgrims wearing all black with these buckles on their tall hats. Um, what did the pilgrims actually wear? What did they look like?
2: <laughs> well, yes, I, I, I can picture those very images that you're talking about myself. And um, no, they're, 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 there's an element of truth there, but actually, This image goes back to sort of the Victorian era, when you would read about pilgrims in books and all the plates were in black and white, hence this myth that this is all that the pilgrims wore, black or white or grey. Well, in fact, if we go back 400 years, if you could afford a set of black clothes, and black was a very expensive dye, then, of course, you would wear these best black clothes clothes for church. But not everyone could afford such an expensive item. And it wasn't um, stipulated this is what our pilgrims wore. In fact, we know for a fact that they wore many colours. If you look upon the manifest of the Mayflower, there's evidence there of some of the coloured dresses that are actually on board the ship. So to see a pilgrim wearing red, blue, even saffron yellow would not have been unusual.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad we get out of that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> let, let's actually go back to the beginning. Let's go. Let's go back to actually why the Pilgrims actually left um, England. Because if you look in the secular textbooks in the U.S. and especially children's textbooks uh, and children's books, I know this because I have three small children and I'm always mm-hmm. looking for books, you know, about the Pilgrims that tell the the, the true story. Oftentimes, these books uh, they kind of uh, put the Christian part of the the story in the background or even erase it altogether. Sue, if you will, answer two questions for me. Why did they want to leave England? And two, what types of persecution would they have faced if they had not left?
2: Well, if you take the Christian part of the story out altogether, there is no reason to leave England. There's no reason for our pilgrims to leave England. If you take the religious aspect out of the story, because this was the main reason they were forced to leave, leave their own homes, their own country of birth, and go into exile as refugees into Holland. Um, You ask about the sort of persecution that they faced. Well, they faced restrictions on all sides first you have to look at who these folk were they were protestants in a protestant england but they were faced with a church which had come about under the elizabeth settlement that they could not feel they could have any part of it was a church that john knox had written to his followers and warned them in England to have nothing to do with, because it was unclean, because it was nothing but a stinking pile of old works. It was neither Anglican or Catholic. Mm -hmm. And our folks, these were Bible Christians. They read and studied the Bible for themselves. And when you look in the Bible, the church that Christ had founded and the church that they were meant to attend, and it was compulsory attendance in England, they were not the same. They were so far removed. Our folk wanted, if you like, to get back to those pure basics, to have a purified service.
1: Hence the name hence the name Puritans
2: H- hence the name Puritan
1: and so were, the, were they were the, were the folks um, the the pilgrims who came over here on the Mayflower were they Puritans or were they separatists? there's often confusion over
2: yeah that. let's look at that Puritan and separatist. Puritan was anyone who harked back to say in the reign of Elizabeth's half-brother Edward because the church had been almost reformed under Edward when he had died and we were briefly Catholic and then Elizabeth comes along and reinstates the Anglican church. Instead of reinstating it the way it had been under her brother, she reinstates it to the way it had been towards the end of her father King Henry's reign. So there was a lot in that church, a lot of ceremony, superstitions that have no basis within the Bible, and this is what Puritans wanted to clean out of their churches. Now, there came a point, and it's in Elizabeth's reign and not James's, where there's actually an act. In 1593, Elizabeth brings in a most dreadful act where it is then illegal for you to actually be a Puritan or to encourage anyone else to be a Puritan. And it's just at this time that the idea of separating away from the Church of England, if it won't reform, separate away from it, comes into being and really starts to gain ground. But do you know where the problem lies there? If you wanted to get away from the Church of England, form your own congregation, have your own services, who was the head of the church in England,
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: the monarch. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to turn your back on the head of a church, but it's quite another to turn your back on the monarch. That is treason. And so it was a very dangerous thing to even contemplate.
1: And they they tried to worship secretly for some time. Um, one of the main the amazing stories that that I uh, am always. Done. Get a lot of inspiration from reading about is the pilgrims worshipping in Scrooby Manor. Tell, mm-hmm. it, tell us about that and what they went through and, and the, you know, the, the links they went to, to, to worship there.
2: Well, Scrooby Manor, the home of William Brewster, was almost at the center of a hub of separatists in the north of England at that time, centering on Babworth, Osterfield, Scrooby, is bang in the middle. And you can imagine these folk, towards the end of Queen Elizabeth's reign, still attending the Church of England, even though they don't agree with the Church of England. They are still attending, and then afterwards, perhaps in the afternoon, gathering together in secret, in private, to then worship the way that they felt was right. And you have to ask yourself Why did they not decide to separate from the church at that time? Have you ever wondered? Sure. But the answer must surely be in Elizabeth, because Elizabeth had no children. She had no heir to the throne in England. So those Puritans, they would have known that if they just bided their time, and let Elizabeth die, then there would be a new regime. And the favourite to be the next king would have been the Presbyterian, King of Scotland. Mm -hmm. And that would have delivered, if the church in England was suddenly declared Presbyterian, along the lines in Scotland, there would be no, no reason to separate from it everything that our folk would have wanted, more or less, would have been achieved by that one move. But of course, when James comes, this doesn't happen. Mm. And this is why our folk are then left with the decision, if you're Puritan, do you stay within the Church of England? Or like our group at Scrooby, do you decide, you know, this is never going to change? Then we must separate ourselves away from this unholy and unclean thing in order to save our own souls.
1: We're talking about possibly being tossed into jail, correct? Le- correct. I mean, what's, what's the punishment? Jail? Poss-
2: possibly, being, possibly being tossed into jail. The, the Puritans and separatists were all subject to the laws of England. Many laws had been brought in since the beginning of Elizabeth's reign, not to catch out Puritans and separatists, but to catch out Catholics. And yet, every man, woman and child in the country would be subject to those same laws. There were already very harsh penalties for those folk for not attending the church in England. Under the Act Against Puritans brought in in 1593, the punishments were set out where you would be fined for non-attendance, then imprisoned, and maybe that would make you change your mind. If you still persisted, then you would be banished. There were also jail terms on the statute, prison terms for clergy who went against the church rules. So they were very, very, you know, serious offences. You wouldn't just be given a ticket to Europe and say, oh, right you 're no longer welcome in England. you take nothing with you it 's awful to contemplate being thrown out of your home and never allowed back much better if that is going to be the end result to somehow try to plan to leave England
1: and Americans tend to think of the uh, the, the uh, pilgrims going directly from England. To America, to to what we consider America, but that didn't happen. They they actually went to Holland first. Why did they go to Holland? Why, why did they choose? Well, Holland?
2: let's look. When did they go to Holland? We're looking at the escape attempts of sixteen oh seven and sixteen oh eight. When were the first colonies found in America?
3: Hmm.
2: Not until sixteen oh seven. Yeah. There wasn't an option to go to the New World then. And if you are trying to leave England, and you don't just leave England, you have to escape. Because to leave England at that time, you needed permission to passport from the authorities. And these dissenters weren't going to get permission. One, you'd have to escape England, bribe your way out of the country. But then if you're a Protestant, where do you go The rest of Europe is Catholic. There are very few places for you to go. And the nearest would be Holland. They could be sure of at least being accepted in Holland because there were already other expatriate English settled there for the same sort of reasons. And that's why our folk chose Holland and also, if you look at William Brewster, William Brewster knew Holland. He'd been there when he had served under Davison, the uh, Queen Elizabeth's diplomat. So he knew Holland and had an understanding of the culture there and could be very useful in helping our group settle.
1: That's that's a, a fascinating part of the story. I think a lot of people, though, would, would hear the story and think, okay, well, they went to Holland and they had freedom in Holland. Why did they come to the U.S. then? Why why didn't they just stay in Holland?
2: Well, you look. They go to Holland, and they're roughly about 12 years. I mean, they don't go to Holland and are welcomed in open arms. They are refugees. They are foreigners in a foreign land. It's not like they're going to get, you know, the best jobs being handed out at the front of the queue. It's going to be difficult for them to settle. It's going to have its own you know, a whole set of problems. They were tolerated in Holland. They could operate in Holland. But setting up a new community, not everyone had money in this group. they, They suffered economically, physically. It was not a nice time for them in Holland, but, You're right, they could have survived there. They could have made a go of it, but Holland itself, by the time we get towards 1620, is beginning to experience its own problems. Mm -hmm. It's had an an uneasy truce with, with Spain. When you think just half a century before, more or less, there'd been vast numbers of Dutch, slaughtered Dutch Protestants, slaughtered by the spanish um the thought of war perhaps looming you know was quite a frightening thing also the dutch church itself wanted to reform and to encompass all the other churches into one state religion that would have gone against our folks ideals so they would have been challenged in that direction as well also there were their children you know some had been babes in arms when they went some had been born in holland but they're now growing up and losing their identity and perhaps being swayed towards a a, a more um i wouldn't say less holy but a, a different direction by the dutch youth so what do you do in that situation Do you stay in this place which, yes, has given you refuge, but may soon come to war? Do you lose the fight that you have fought by default because your children are going to turn away or be led away from your ideals as as, as they grow older and and perhaps you pass on? Or do you try to make a start anew? Mm -hmm. You can't return to England. Although you want to be English, you want to keep your identity, yet you can still keep that identity by going to one other place, and that was the colonies. Mm-hmm. That was the New World. But even that was not an easy choice. Look at Jamestown. You know, by 1620, what's Jamestown like? Um, they can't keep the colony much above a thousand people at a time, they have pumped in thousands upon thousands of colonists who had died many haven't lived very long at all it's not like you're going to um, a bed of roses it's going to be hard whichever choice you make it's going to be hard but this is where our folk eventually end up they end up gaining a patent a permission to go and settle in virginia
1: So we need to take a quick break, Uh, but when we come back, let's look at the trials they faced in crossing the Atlantic and the trials they faced
0: in now modern-day Massachusetts. We'll be right back. Do you know someone who's a Constitution basher? Then here's the ammo you need to silence them once and for all. Introducing the Crash Course on the U.S. Constitution, how to argue with a liberal about constitutional issues and win every time. If you believe it's time we stop disgusting left-wing lies and start telling the truth about America's Christian heritage, this Crash Course for Patriots is for you. Start neutralizing the liberal propaganda being force-fed in our schools, the workplace, and the media. The Crash Course on the U.S. Constitution is an audio Power Program that includes six CDs jam-packed with amazing information, insights, and truth that will shut the mouth of any lie-loving liberal. Order your crash course on the U.S. Constitution online at thefoundersplan.com and look for the free bonus kit. Call today, 1-877-327-0365. That's 877-327-0365 or go to thefoundersplan.com. For God's honest truth, go to thefoundersplan.com today. Welcome back to Off the Grid Radio, getting you ready to prepare for the worst.
1: Uh, So, before the break, we were talking about the pilgrims uh, coming to the New World. Um, One thing I had to ask you is, um, did everybody leave Holland or did only some of them leave Holland?
2: That's a very good question. No, not everyone left Holland. Would you put all your eggs in one basket? True. The, the, The trip alone across to the new world would have been fraught with danger and besides not everyone would have been fit to make that first trip better to send your strongest first to establish your settlement and then send for the weaker to come after because not everyone has the same ability to to survive and if you look at folk who were in their 40s maybe when they made the escape attempt, they are so much older by 1620. You know, we think now as, um, you know, not being old till you're 70. And when you look back and you think uh, William Bradford describing Richard Clifton as being an old man with a great white beard and how awful it was that this chap had been harried out of England. And he was only about 50 at the time. Mm-hmm. They were old, a lot younger, <laughs> Yeah, if you get what I mean. Sure. So, no, you know, you have um, as many as can go to begin with, and there wasn't room for everyone to go at first anyway.
1: There was about 135 people on this ship? Well,
2: that there were probably more that left Holland, that left Delft Haven, because they actually had their own ship that they brought with them, the Speedwell. Sure. And that ship had to be left behind in England when it started to leak. And so this ship hired to accompany, it, to accompany it, the Mayflower, was the only vessel to then make that crossing. And there wouldn't have been room for everybody anyway upon that ship. So you've actually left some in England and a greater part of your company in, in Leyden. And indeed, even some of those that went to Leyden Never, never made the trip to the New World. There actually are descendants of our separatists still there.
1: Hmm. You're talking about Leiden and Holland, of Holland, course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Holland. Um, the the deck on the Mayflower was about 80 to 90 feet long, uh, from my understanding. Were these cramped conditions, uh, spacey conditions? What what kind of what 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 would it, what what would life have been on board? But
2: of the mayflower the mayflower was probably about 40 years old she was a cargo ship i mean she wasn't fitted out with fancy cabins or anything you might have been lucky and had a bit of a curtain to partition a small section off for you and your family but i reckon maybe about six square feet per family mm. that's probably generous wow so it was awful awful conditions to make that crossing
1: and then they made it did they make it okay with food? Is that one of one part of the trip that went okay?
2: Well, no, because if you look at some of the letters that survived from even as the Mayflower was leaving port, they knew they probably only had supplies for about a month. They had actually bought all of their supplies on board the ship, spent all of their money weeks before. Because the speedwell had delayed them and they'd have to put into port, try to repair her, make out to sea. Every time they stopped, when they stopped at Dartmouth, when they stopped in Plymouth, they would have had to pay harbour dues. That meant that they were selling off their food stocks, probably their fresher items to make these payments. So no, by the time they actually make the trip And it takes longer. The crossing takes far longer than they anticipated. All the time, their reserves are are dwindling, so they had very little food. It would have been quite awful. And arriving in winter, how do you restock?
1: Now, what did they think they were sailing to? Did they think they were sailing to a warmer climate than they uh, actually ended up getting?
2: Well, they had a patent to take them to Virginia. Virginia is where they were heading for. That would have been fine. You pitch up in Virginia, you know that there's Jamestown. You know that there's plantations. There are other English there. So if you get into difficulties, you haven't got very far to go for help. But the case was, due to the storms and other factors, they actually end up in New England. Mm. That is a long, long way from any sort of support network. Yeah. And they were on their own.
1: And they left in September though. Uh they sailed in September
2: That's right.
1: That is that's kind of what caused everything to go bad uh several months later, because they did they leave later than they wanted to?
2: Yes, they, they yes, they should have left weeks and weeks before yeah. because the speedwell had hampered them. So they should have they should have had an easy crossing. The weather would have been better, they would have had a quicker crossing. Uh, more more um um, favorable conditions to actually land in Mm -hmm. and of course they landed in the wrong place as well so it was a disaster Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. if you if you look at it on paper you would think wow yeah this is a disaster how do you come back from this
1: yeah but later on they would have seen the providence of god in all of this of course
2: of course
1: yeah um they, uh, we often think of them landing first in Plymouth, um, what we call Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts, but they actually um, uh, uh, anchored off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts
2: first, yes, is in, that right? Yes, in, in, in Province Bay there, that's where they would have anchored because they needed to find a suitable place to settle. You know, you're, you're looking for somewhere suitable. What are you looking for? Well, you're looking for clean, fresh water, so that's a must. You must have a settlement. You're looking probably for somewhere you can defend because you don't know. You know, it may not be from other people. You may need to defend yourself from animals. You don't know. But you need somewhere where you're going to be safe, where where you've got a fresh water supply. And they took some time looking for that special place. And then eventually when they found it, um, where they settled, which we now know as or well, they would have called New Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where they, that's where they, they they landed and and took root.
1: What was that first winter like?
2: It would have been dreadful. I I I, um, I would not have wanted to have tried to go through that first winter. I mean, arriving. Um, I mean, I've I've just returned from that area and it's beautiful, but I don't think I would have liked to have arrived there four hundred years ago when it's just. You know, trees and and, and bleakness. and, yeah. and it, it, Very inhospitable. Uh, and with no food. And the biggest thing wasn't the fact that they were short on food. It was the terrible sickness that ravaged them. And half of them died that first winter. Wow. That would have been absolutely soul-destroying. If these weren't stronger people, it would have been absolutely awful to see half your number go. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine living through that horror.
1: It's hard to tell the story then without talking about the faith of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- so half of them survive the first winter, and then, of course, they begin planting in the following spring, and then they have their first harvest. And the first harvest uh, is often what we consider or not the first harvest, but the celebration that they have with the uh, the Indians in the area is what we um, consider a lot of times the first Thanksgiving. Uh, but from what I understand, Sue, they would have not considered that a Thanksgiving celebration. Is that correct? It was more like a harvest feast of some sort? Well,
2: let's have a look at these folk. Um, it's, it's a custom-wide, worldwide thing to celebrate a good harvest. Because when you're far removed from the land as so many people are today, we forget how essential a good harvest was because that was all you had to get you through the winter. Good harvest meant that you weren't going to starve. It was something to be thankful for, whether in a secular or a religious way. But our separatists would have been well used to... um, the idea of a Thanksgiving, you only have to look at John Robinson's writings. We know that our pilgrims attempted, you know, to live their pattern of religious activities according to Bible precedent. And there is a precedent in the Bible for a harvest festival, and it's the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles. And that harvest festival is described in the 1560 Geneva Bible. So this would have been in our folks' mind. Also in Holland, they would have had the idea of days of Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. religious days of Thanksgiving. The problem with calling what happened after the harvest in 1621, the first Thanksgiving, is it's not actually called that. By the account we had written at the time by Edward Winslow, mm-hmm. all it describes is the harvest being gotten in, and the governor sending men out fowling, so they might and Winslow says, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labours and they go on to describe all the food that they managed to to get through hunting, and then they say. You know, they had so much food, it could last all of them more than a week in that one session of hunting, after which they they say they indulged in recreations. This could be anything. This could be something secular, like singing or dancing, or it could have been something as simple as, as exercising their arms, And this is what Winslow says, and he says that many of the Indians coming amongst us and among the rest of their greatest king, Mathesoyet, with some 90 men for whom three days we entertain. So they entertained with their Native American neighbors Mm -hmm. together. But it doesn't say that this was a sanctification.
1: Even even though it may not have been an official Thanksgiving, the pilgrims themselves were people who did not separate um, their lives from their faith. This would have been an occasion, nevertheless, for them to give thanks for the harvest.
2: It would have been an occasion, and if it's also in their mind, you know this this harvest thankfulness from the Old Testament feast. In that they were told through that you should rejoice in thy feast, and thy son and thy daughter, and thy servant, and thy maid, and the Levite and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are within thy gates. Everyone in your community, in your neighborhood, should be a part of this. And probably this idea of stranger would have included in our folks' mind their Native American neighbors, whom they were by those account in very close community with. I think this is the picture. It doesn't matter if this is the first Thanksgiving. It's these cultures, an ocean apart, these people, coming together in peace and in celebration as a community. It's that picture that has lasted the test of time. If only this picture of these people in this Eden had been the blueprint for the rest of what would happen over the centuries, wouldn't America be a wonderful place?
1: Sure, sure. Um, Sue, we also have the question of... um, what happened after that? And it is my understanding, I'm hoping you can either set the record straight or correct me, um, that two years later, they did have what they consider a Thanksgiving celebration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that, am I am I on track there? Is that
2: right? Yeah, and, and, and there, there, there are examples of other Thanksgivings as well. At Jamestown, there was a, a Thanksgiving service recorded in 1619. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that, yes, this is something that they would have done. They would have given thanks. Yeah. and But later we get the Puritan Thanksgiving services, which are the official Thanksgiving that we seem to to, to get confused with. Um, really, we should look at the Thanksgiving that we see in Plymouth at that time as, as a hybrid, a hybrid of a secular and...
1: Of a church okay. celebration. So we're talking about a people who escaped um, persecution in England would have been tossed in jail if they'd have continued worshiping um, the way they uh, believed God. To, you know, wanted them to worship. They, they they went to Holland, tried to make it there, didn't make it. Many of them crossed the Atlantic, uh, landed here in winter, had a tough winter, and about half of them survived. And then they had this harvest feast where they uh, would have given thanks, um, even if it was not this official Thanksgiving celebration. Um, Sue, you're free to add anything you want to add here, but I I wanted to ask you about um, this project you've told us about off air. You're raising money for uh, a major, major project there um, that would bring lots of tourists in. Tell, Tell us about that.
2: Well, um, I, I'm the official historian for Scrooby Manor, um, the home of William Brewster. And at Scrooby, if a modern-day pilgrim comes and they want to walk in the footsteps of our, of our separatists, um, there really is nothing there to greet them at all. Um, there's no visitor centre. There's not even a washroom, can you believe, at this place. So I belong to an association called the Pilgrim Fathers uk origins association and at the moment we are going forward for a one million dollar plus bid from our english um, lottery heritage fund to build well to convert an existing barn in the area into a visitor center to promote the story of these separatists and to be able to act as a hub to, to inform and send visitors out to all the other sites nearby where this story played out. But we are having to raise $65,000 ourselves as much funding. That means until we raise that money, we will not be allowed the the $1 million, the bulk of the money, to finish this project off. And that's what I'm in the process of doing at the moment. I'm asking for donations towards this project, but not just money. What we're asking for is pledges of money. No money has to change hands until we actually get that $1 million. But a pledge, a promise, a promise of of, of a few dollars here and there, acts as if it were hard cash on the table when we go forward asking the Heritage Commission for this money.
1: Do you have to raise a certain amount from the U.S.?
2: Well, this heritage center dedicated to the Pilgrim Fathers is aimed at Americans, facilitating Americans who come here. After all, these are the people, the folk most interested in this story. Um, It would be very strange if we weren't to ask for some help from America. And it seems only fair, really, if we're going for a million dollars, that some of that smaller amount, I think it's only about you know, a small percentage, um, actually comes from folk who will benefit from the centre. And those who, those who really appreciate the story, who have that connection, and believe that these folks should be commemorated, their stories should not go unheard. In the towns and villages where they came from. Sure,
1: sure, and uh, it, it's uh, the website that you can visit uh, to learn, learn more information about this and to uh, pledge a donation is pilgrimfathersorigins.org. That's p i l g r i m fathers origins. UK origins. Okay. Dot org. That's
2: right. Um,
1: also, uh, your your website, Sue, is Mayflower Maid.
2: Yes, and you can also find me on Facebook. Oh, great! I'm Sue Allen, author. It's a public Facebook page, so do come and find me, and I can keep everyone up with the the events and news, and as well as other interesting articles and research on the pilgrims that I'm. Taking part in at the moment. And
1: Sue's last name is A L L A N. And once That's again, right. and once again, MayflowerMade.com is where you can get information about her books, That's right. and her tours. And um, we should also just mention once again the website. Just Google Pilgrim Fathers UK Origins Association, and uh, the website is right there at the top. Hey Sue, thanks so much for joining us. It's always great talking to you.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a great pleasure.
1: Today's sponsor was TheFoundersPlan.com, where you can learn the real history behind the Constitution and the truth about America's Christian heritage. That's TheFoundersPlan.com. Please visit OffTheGoodNews.com for the news and features important to you. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Keywords, Off The Grid News. Please join us again next week for another edition of All The Grid Radio.